Science on the Menu, a podcast by the European Food Safety Authority. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Science on the Menu, a podcast produced by EFSA, the European Food Safety Authority. This is Barbara Gizzoni, team leader of the digital publishing team in EFSA. And today I'm joined for a very important discussion by our climate change expert, Angelo Maggiore, scientist in the Knowledge and Innovation Unit in EFSA. Hi, Angelo, how are you? Good morning, everybody. I'm very well. Thank you very much, Barbara, for inviting me today. Thank you for joining us. So today we're going to talk about climate change. And I believe that some of our world listeners may already be wondering why we're doing so, because they probably know that EFSA's main remit is about food safety. So before we even start going into a more detailed conversation, could you please help us first understand what is the link between EFSA and climate change? How does EFSA uh, connect to this very current topic? Yeah, the reason why we are dealing with it is that most of the studies related to climate change and the food system are describing the effect of climate change on food security issues. So basically the, the food production for a growing human population. Very few studies are dealing with effects on food and feed safety, but not only these, also plant animal health and nutritional quality. And that's why we are involved. Thank you. Okay. So now we have clarified a little bit the link between EFSA, food safety and climate change uh, on a more theoretical level. Um, as you explained to us, there are different connections. Uh, so now I would be curious to, for example, have a, a few concrete examples of the potential effects that climate change could have directly on food safety. Can you talk about those? Yes, I will mention just a few uh, examples. I will start with uh, effects on mycotoxins, on the emergence of mycotoxins, where HEFS has done quite some work in the past, in particular related to the emergence of aflatoxins due to climate change. And um, our scientists have developed and used a prediction model focusing on several uh, scenarios of temperature increase. And they found that the most likely scenario we are going to observe, which is a temperature increase of two uh, degrees, is going to create issues in relation to the presence of aflatoxins in mice in, uh, in Europe. Another example I would like to mention is that of um, risks to plant health. Risks to plant health normally uh, occur because of two uh, factors, uh, invasive species or vectors um, bringing different sorts of viruses with them. An example of this is the Bemisia tabaci, also called uh, white fly in more colloquial terms. And again, our experts, our scientists have developed some predictive models showing that the, the area of establishment of this insect in Europe might increase because of temperature increase, and also the population density. Another example I would like to mention is that of uh, cyanotoxins in food and feed. Cyanotoxins are produced by uh, cyanobacteria, which are a particular type of bacterium which behaves like an algae in the sense that performs uh, photosynthesis. 
And um, our scientists and experts have again developed some some studies and some models showing the effect of climate change on the distribution of such bio, uh, cyanotoxins and also on the uh, toxicity of cyanobacterial populations. And the outcome, the general outcome, is that we might observe in the future an increase in the exposure to uh, cyanotoxins, uh, not only humans, but also animals through feed. Okay, so quite already a few examples you gave me there. Um, and um, unfortunately, quite alarming. And uh, I can imagine that um, many of these uh, toxins you mentioned could also have negative effects on human health. So um, definitely something to be considered. And um, you just made examples that could be considered as more direct on food safety um, due to climate change. But I also know that uh, there are many other um, occasions in which climate change could affect uh, possibly indirectly food safety that we sometimes don't even think about. Am I correct? And if so, can you tell us uh, something about those? Climate change may affect the transport pathways, uh, fate, and for example, bioaccumulation and uh, elimination and exposure to toxic compounds through rainfall events, for example. That's, an, uh, that's a possibility. The other possibility is that climate change may change the use uh, patterns of pesticides and also veterinary drugs because of the invasion of, uh, of different sorts of species. And it's important to note that this use of veterinary drugs could determine an increase in the risk of spread of antibiotic resistance. Another possibility is the impact on the robustness of the cold chain or in general on food hygiene issues associated to the different steps of the of the food chain. Uh, I would also like to mention the interaction between climate change and uh, other drivers in the sense that uh, climate change is a driver and as such never uh, acts in isolation. It always interacts with other drivers. For example, in determining or stimulating the uptake of drivers like uh, circular economy practices. And here I'm referring in particular to the, to the example of water scarcity and, uh, and uh, drought, which is a, a quite hot issue uh, nowadays since we have just observed in Italy, in Spain and uh, in France, particularly warm winters. So this could stimulate the use of, for example, sewage water or wastewater uh, different stages of the food production chain, the production, or also um, in the in in uh, in the other steps of the food chain, and uh, this is water that sometimes could be of questionable uh, yeah, quality. quality. Another uh, driver of relevance is the uptake of uh, circular uh, feeds. We know that um, feeds production is associated with the relevant environmental impact, biodiversity losses, and uh, uh, generation of pollution. Therefore, the trend is toward changing the sources of feed. And among these changes, we are also considering possible circular feeds like those originated uh, from food waste or uh, former food products or food processing byproducts. 
And then the last thing I would like to say, which is very, very important considering the, the, the EFSA's remit, for all what I've said so far, it's clear that we must take climate change into consideration when carrying out risk assessment, as climate change may uh, substantially impact its relevance. Not only, we also would need to adopt holistic approaches where not only climate change is taken into consideration, but also other stressors together, like, for example, pesticide use. Yeah, uh, quite a lot of uh, additional examples of indirect uh, effects. So I would have not thought that climate change could actually impact IMR. And uh, you just showed us that that could actually be the case, or even thinking about the use of sewage water. Um, so it's really interesting. And um, I would ask you many different questions, but you talk specifically about water. Um, so we know that oceans are also possibly going to be very much affected by climate change. Just to make an example, according to experts, um, ocean water peak heat records in April. Can you tell us more about the implications of climate change on oceans and what this could mean for the future? Yes, the, the oceans play a very relevant um, role in relation to, to, to climate change because the oceans can both uh, mitigate climate change, but also uh, they can be heavily affected by it. Mm -hmm. When I think of mitigation of climate change, I'm referring in particular to the role played by algae in absorbing and sequestering CO2 and producing oxygen. Mm -hmm. um, on the other side, in terms of negative effects of climate change, uh, I would mention, for example, the oxygenation of ocean waters, increase in sea surface temperature, acidifications, and uh, ice melting, for example. So it's fundamental to guarantee or to contribute to to, to guaranteeing a good health of the ocean. Also because um, we have relevant drivers in recent uh, periods, the use of ocean resources for economic growth that needs to be sustainable. And um, you told me some time ago also that uh, there could also be geopolitical effects due to climate change. Yes, if we think, for example, of the of the effect of climate change of uh, melting the ice coverage, for example, in the in the Arctic, this could have relevant implications because new uh, commercial routes could open there previously uh, unused or unexplored because of the ice coverage, and uh, and also the, the the use of relevant resources like oil gas of mm -hmm. uh, several sorts of metals there and of course the the opening of such uh, of these possibilities may determine some may have some geopolitical uh, implications everything is so interesting and uh, also a little bit worrying the oceans are really important from many different point of view and uh, being them affected by climate change so could also lead once again to food safety concerns. So can you explain how this could happen? And um, can you also talk to us a little bit about a project carried out by EFSA specifically in this area? 
The reason why we are interested in this evolution of the use of the oceans uh, is because it may indeed have effects on food safety. I'm thinking here of uh, two particular aspects associated with climate change. The first one is the increase in sea surface temperature, which triggers an increase in the duration of the stratification of the of the of the water column. And the second one is the increase of the occurrence of floodings mm -hmm. in estuarine uh, waters, which could determine a higher outflow of nutrients for a variety of organisms like algae, microscopic algae or marine bacteria, some of which are toxic in the sense that they produce uh, toxic uh, toxins. Climate change may change the distribution of these organisms and may increase the concentration up to levels that are sometimes referred to as blooms, uh, but also have an impact on the toxicity of these blooms. And that's a little bit more difficult to To, to predict, but we are trying to do that in particular in a project we, we have been developing in the past few years dealing with ciguatoxins uh, mm -hmm. and ciguatera. Ciguatera uh, is a, uh, the most common intoxication due to marine biotoxins in the world at a global level. It's typical of uh, tropical and subtropical areas. But uh, starting from 2004, outbreaks of Ziguatera have been recorded also in Canary Islands and, uh, and Madeira, so in Spanish and Portuguese Macaronesia Islands. So we have launched a project and funded a project together with the Spanish uh, Food Safety and Nutrition Agency aiming at characterizing the risk of ciguatera fish poisoning in Europe, but also to measure the levels of ciguatoxins in algae and uh, in fish in Europe and develop analytical methods to, to, to quantify it. Uh, recently, now we are in a follow-up stage for such a project, and uh, um, in the follow-up we have also added um, a relevant part related to the development of predictive models of the distribution of the organisms, dinoflagellates, which are responsible for the production of these toxins, and the emergence of ciguatoxins in fish, again, under climate change scenarios. Okay, so if I understand well, the poisoning happens because people are consuming fish that consume the algae. Okay. So, wow, so it's truly fascinating to see how everything is so interconnected and one small change could lead to several others in different and even apparently non-related areas. Um, I think this is what we normally call uh, complex systems, right? Um, uh, so when it comes to food safety, is there work in place to try and anticipate such complex dynamics and prepare in advance for emerging risks? Yes, indeed. We are living in a, in a world which is normally described with a variety of attributes like volatile, complex, and, and so on. They stress the fact that uh, besides complexity, this world is characterized by changes which are uh, more and more rapid. So that's the, the world where we need to take decisions, when, where we need to perform our assessments and to contribute to, to food safety. 
This may seem a little bit discouraging, but still uh, we can implement uh, approaches, innovative approaches to, to handle for such complexity and to being prepared to what the future may uh, bring to us. We are actually doing that in, uh, in EFSA through the implementation and piloting of environmental scanning approaches, meaning that we are trying to investigate what's around the, 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 the food system and in particular developing uh, foresight, foresight approaches, where foresight is a methodology which brings together science of the future or literacy uh, about the future with creativity. And we try not to predict the future, of course, which is impossible, <laughs> but to just understand possible scenarios where the future could, mm -hmm. could develop. And uh, we need to do it in a participatory way, and indeed that's what EFSA is doing. We are bringing together different, first of all, partners, organizations, but also different uh, stakeholders uh, impacted by the specific subject matter. Examples of the applications of these principles to the EFSA's remit are, I could give two. The first one is a foresight exercise we have run related to circular feeds, which are again connected with climate change because of the reason I've explained before. And uh, the second one is a recent uh, project about future uses of the oceans. The oceans are going to be more and more used in terms of uh, its resources in the future because of the uptake of these blue economy practices. If we think, for example, of uh, evolution of trade and transports, but also the possibility of generating food packaging from ocean resources and uh, the possibility of extracting, as I was mentioning before, different sorts of uh, minerals, but also, of course, production of food and feed from the ocean. So how is it going to evolve in the future, big also in consideration of climate change and what kind of effect this may have on food and feed uh, safety, not only on food and feed safety in terms of emerging risks, but also in terms of identification of areas where EFSA should develop uh, an expertise, should develop capacity in the future. Thank you so much, Angelo. I look forward to the final outcomes of all these projects. Uh, we're almost at the end of our episode for today, but we've learned so much from you. Uh, what you say, it's fascinating, also a bit boring, um, but we've seen, uh, you know, that there are um, activities in place that uh, should help us uh, face the challenges ahead. Um, before we close, uh, I have just one last question for you. As you may know, uh, on Science on the Menu, we like to ask our guests for a personal anecdote about uh, the topic of the episode. So do you have anything you want to share with us? Uh, for example, I don't know, were you always interested in climate change or is this more of a recent passion? <laughs> I must admit that besides a pure scientific interest have been driven by emotions. Uh, I've started to, to work as an um, oceanographer, studying the impact of atmospheric forcing like heat stress, wind and uh, precipitations on marine circulation systems and uh, on the spatial and temporal distribution of those algae we were mentioning uh, before and uh, the impact this has on CO2 absorption and climate change. Therefore, for me, it's like going back in time and feel young. 
Oh, nice. So the the passion was always there. It's a, yes. okay, yeah, an old passion. Well, uh, we're happy you felt young with us today. <laughs> I hope the effect spreads to me too. Let's all feel young. <laughs> Thanks so much again, Angelo. I hope you enjoyed being with us and I hope that our listeners enjoyed it too. Yes, I did enjoy it and uh, thank you, everybody. Feel free to subscribe and follow Science on the Menu and stay tuned for the next episodes. <laughs>